Over the last couple of weeks, I've enjoyed seeing everybody's back-to-school pictures on social media as you take pictures of your kids on the first day. Uh, it's such a great and hopeful time. Everybody takes pictures of their kids in clean and well-coordinated clothing. Uh, the lunch boxes are by their side, no doubt filled with nice homemade sandwiches and fresh fruit. Uh, it, is a, it is a great moment. As I have told my kids in the past, there's a lot of hope because at that moment, at the beginning of the school year, everybody's got a 4-0. And so I always say, really, all you've got to do is just maintain the grade point average for the rest of the year. Uh, that first day of school, if you're a parent, you probably get your kids there like 10 minutes early, 15 minutes early. They're walking in with plenty of time to spare. Uh, it's, it's great to see those pictures and that enthusiasm and that excitement. Uh, at the same time, I think most of us recognize that by April, it's often a very different picture in our households. Uh, the kids may come downstairs and say, Mom, Dad, I don't really have anything clean to wear. And you say, you know what? Just rummage through the laundry basket and whatever you have worn the least amount of times, just wear that. Just do your best. Uh, instead of the lovingly handcrafted sandwiches with the, the sliced fresh fruit, you've got like fruit roll-ups and some extra Oreos you found in the pantry for their lunch, right? The 4-0 drops and you no longer get them there 10 minutes early. You're kind of like, as long as they're there by third period, we're probably okay, right? As long as they get there three days a week, it'll be all right. Your, your motivation, your energy uh, tends to wane as the year goes on. So that what, what our lives sometimes look like in August isn't what our life looks like in April or May as we round the corner toward the end of the year. Uh, in some ways, I've often thought the school year is sort of a microcosm of life. And particularly, it's, it's kind of a microcosm of the Christian life as well. What I mean is a lot of times when we first come to know Jesus, we are filled with hope and enthusiasm and joy because we can't believe the message of the grace of God, that God's only son died for us, died for our sins, and rose from the dead so that we can have eternal life instead of eternal death. We can't believe that God would send his son for us, that we can know him. So the grace and the power of God is such an overwhelming message that often early in our Christian lives, we run with joy and enthusiasm. We tell everybody we know about Jesus. We want to help people know Jesus in deeper ways. We serve and maybe we lead in the church. But as time goes on, we often lose some of that initial enthusiasm and focus and energy and joy whether it's because of the trials of life or just familiarity that breeds a sort of contempt, we can lose our passion for Jesus. And often that comes because we lose our focus on who he is and what he's done and what he's called us to do. That happens not only to individuals, that can also happen to churches. Every church starts with high hopes and enthusiasm and joy. Every church starts in a community saying, we want to influence this community for the name of Jesus. We want to have an impact on the lives of other people. So we're going to run together and worship him together and share the gospel together in this community and around the world. Every church starts with those high hopes. But just like it can happen in our Christian lives as the years and the decades uh, wear on, 
a church can lose focus also. So that is why uh, every so often, usually once or twice a year, toward the beginning of a semester like this, we like to come back and remind ourselves, what is the mission that sits at the center of Grace Bible Church, who we are? And then what are the values, the key values that, that inform and drive our mission? Who are we? What are we called to do? How do we keep focused, keep running, even amidst the trials of life and distractions and discouragement and familiarity and all of that? How do we keep running well? In Philippians chapter 3, Paul compares uh, the Christian life uh, to a race, right? And so he says, here's what I do. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, I want to finish my race well. And in order to finish my race well, I have to focus on the goal. The goal in Philippians is knowing Jesus, remembering what Jesus has done, sharing Jesus with others, making disciples who make disciples. And he says, I want to put Jesus right at the center of my vision and run toward him until the day I cross the finish line and see him face to face. One of my daughters is a cross-country runner, right? So she runs long-distance races. And in order to finish the race well, you have to keep focused on where you're going, on the goal as you run. If you lose focus, you look at the other runners, you look at the birds, you, you try to think ahead to what's going to happen later in the course. If you lose focus to just running straight toward the goal, you don't finish as well as you start. And it happens all the time. I've seen in races that she's run. People lose focus and they, they don't finish as well as they start. And so as a church and as the people of God, we want to finish. We want to run through the tape in that moment we see Jesus to keep focused. So that's what I want to do this morning. We're going to talk about our mission as a church, and we're going to talk about the values that inform that mission. We call them our pillars. If you've been here a while, you've heard all of this before, uh, and that's okay. This will hopefully be a good refresher for you. If you uh, are new, and I know there are some, some new faces in here this morning, my hope is that uh, you may have walked in thinking, what is this church about? What's important to these people? What, what uh, informs them week after week as they worship and as they serve? Well, I'm hoping that you'll walk away this morning with a clear understanding of who we are as a church. What is our mission and what are, what are our values? So let's begin with our mission. Uh, this is on our website. It's in our app. It's everywhere you look. It's, it's all over the place. We help people find and follow Jesus. Now, Grace Bible Church has been around for 60 years almost. I think uh, in a couple of years we'll have our 60th year anniversary. Grace Creekside, our campus, has been around for eight years, since 2015. Uh, I've been on staff at Grace as a pastor uh, for about 20 years. In even those 20 years that I've been here, we've had different slogans or different statements to express this mission. But I really like this one because all this statement is, is a paraphrase, a summary of Jesus's great commission from Matthew chapter 28. That's really all this is, is we're saying Jesus commissioned his disciples to a certain task and we just want to do what Jesus told us to do. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus' great commission. Jesus came and said to them, that is to his disciples, his followers, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus says, hey, I've got all the authority in heaven and earth. That's because he died, he rose again, he is the perfect son of God. And so he says, I have all authority. And he says, here's what I'm commanding you to do. He says, I want you now to go all throughout the earth and make disciples of all the nations. Help people come to know me and follow me. A disciple is simply a follower of Jesus. He says, how are you gonna do this? He goes, I want you to baptize people. What is baptism? Baptism fundamentally is an initiation into the people of God. It is when we publicly say, I identify with Jesus Christ. I have believed that Jesus died for my sins and he rose from the dead. And so I want to join his people. And so we baptize people. But then he says, I want you to teach people to observe everything that I commanded. Help other people follow me Well, so this is what Jesus says. He says, I want you to help people find me, come to know me, initiate them into the community of my people through baptism, and then teach them everything that I taught so that you can look like me, so that you can can reflect my character, so that you can be my representatives in the world. That is what we mean when we say we help people find and follow Jesus. We want to help people follow Jesus, who help people follow Jesus, who help people follow Jesus until the day we see Jesus face to face or he returns. That's the mission. That's what we're called to. Who is called to this mission? Everybody who knows Jesus. Not just the leaders, not just the pastors. If you know Jesus Christ, you are called to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And so for all of us, the question is, am I Am I participating in this mission? Who are the people that I'm telling about Jesus? Praying they'll come to know Jesus. Who are the people I'm helping to follow Jesus? That I'm investing my life and my time and my energy to help them know Jesus better. Not because I'm especially smart or I have something especially great to say, but simply because I know him and I want others to know him so others can know him until Jesus returns so we can be the light of Christ in the world. So we help people find and follow Jesus. That's what we're about. That's our mission. That's why we exist as a church. Now, as I mentioned, as we fulfill that mission, we have some values that inform the way we fulfill that mission. Uh, We call these our pillars. They're sort of distinctives of the way that Grace Bible Church does our ministry. Uh, These are not unique. Other churches certainly hold to these values, but these are the ones over the 60 years of Grace Bible Church that our elders and our leaders have consistently said, we want these four pillars to characterize everything that we do. And so the first one is that we value God's grace. We value God's grace. That's right at the center of what we believe, of who we are. What is the grace of God? The grace of God is simply his undeserved kindness to us. Or you might say it, his unmerited, unearned favor. God's grace is most perfectly reflected in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ died for my sin, my inability to meet God's standards. He rose from the dead. 
declaring that, that that sacrifice was acceptable to God, that he is the perfect son of God, fully God, fully man. He rose from the dead. He defeated sin and death. And if I believe in him, I can have a relationship with God, eternal life, forgiveness of my sins, and the presence of God in my life for free. It's a gift. That's grace. So we preach and value and try to live the grace of God. Starting next week, we're going to begin a study of the book of Romans. We'll be in Romans for most of the year. And this idea of the grace of God expressed in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that's at the center of the book of Romans. So Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul says, I live to preach the gospel, to help others understand the gospel, because in it is the power of God to save us from sin and death and hell. And everyone who believes can know that salvation. And so Paul's entire life was centered on preaching the grace of God. So we value God's grace. It's the first word in our name. We are Grace Bible Church because we, like Paul, we believe it's of first importance. Paul says this gospel is of first importance. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance. It's the most important thing. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So Paul would say, if he were here with us, he would say, look, you may have certain political views or social views. Those are not of first importance. The gospel is of first importance. You may have certain theological views. Maybe you're, you're a Calvinist or you're more Arminian or you're a dispensationalist or whatever it may be. And those may be important, but they're of secondary importance. What is of first importance, what we bleed and, and preach and live for, is the grace of God as expressed most fully in the person of Jesus Christ, in his death and his resurrection. Why? Because this is life and death, eternal life or eternal death. It is the matter of the most important significance. If something's life or death, you make it of first importance. This past summer, our family went to Pine Cove's family camp, and we really enjoyed it. It was a little hot, but we loved the experience. And uh, uh, there was one afternoon I decided I was going to do the zip line. And so if you've ever done a zip line like this, you know, you climb up a tower. The tower was maybe 50 feet high. And the idea is you have a harness and then there's a little carabiner attached to the harness and a cable or a rope coming from that. And on the other end, you're attached to a cable that runs all the way down to the ground. And the idea is I harness up and I, I kind of attach myself and then I, at some point I jump off the tower and I slide down the cable. And it's super fun if you enjoy jumping off high buildings, which for me is kind of a stretch, and so I was, I was up there at the top, and there were some staff members, some Pine Cove staff members that were up there, and they're doing a great job. They were college students. They were enthusiastic. They're kind of helping me get set for it. And as they're doing it, they're kind of making small talk with me. Where are you from? Uh, you know, how many kids do you have? What do you do for a living? All these kinds of things, which was very, very interesting. And I felt like I needed to ask them questions also, just to be polite. So I'm asking them questions. Where do you go to school? What do you major in? All these things. But the whole time, 
all I can think about is this. Is my harness on securely? Is the carabiner well attached? Is it attached on the other side? Does that cable look secure? Right, the entire time. I'm looking back and forth and I'm checking and I'm double checking and I'm pulling at this harness and I'm pulling at this cable. Is it secure? And it's not that I didn't care how many siblings that staff member had. I just didn't care as much as I cared about not dying. That became of first importance. If something is life or death, it matters more than anything else in the universe. The gospel is the message of eternal life and the victory of eternal life over eternal death. Paul says that's of first importance. Why would I waste my time arguing or fighting or getting caught up in the color of the chairs or secondary or tertiary theological issues when the gospel is of first importance? We value the gospel of grace, which means anybody who comes to Jesus Christ in faith can have eternal life for free. For by grace, by grace, by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, not as a result of anything you did. You've done nothing to earn God's favor so that no one may boast. You didn't have to earn eternal life. You don't have to prove you're worthy of eternal life. God gave it for free in Jesus Christ. So we value God's grace because it's a matter of eternal life or death, and we keep it right at the center of what we preach. Every week I'm on this stage, you will hear the good news of Jesus Christ proclaimed. And every week, I will encourage you, if you don't yet know Jesus Christ, make this the day that you receive eternal life as an absolutely free gift. As I said last week, if you want to, you're always welcome just to write on one of those prayer cards that's in the seat in front of you. I'd like to talk with somebody about Jesus Put your name, your phone number, or email address. We will follow up. We will call you. We would love to. You're welcome to talk to me or one of our staff or one of our leaders. We live for this, to proclaim the grace of God. And, I, and my prayer is that you will as well. We value God's grace. Second pillar, we value God's word. We value God's word. So we are Grace Bible Church. Bible is the second word in our name because we believe that the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and bone and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is God speaking to us. The scripture is God speaking to us. He hasn't left us alone to figure out who he is or what he's done or what he wants from us. He has spoken to us in his word that we believe is true and life-giving. Where the word of God goes, life follows. Truth follows. Where the word of God is absent, we stumble around in the dark. One of my favorite verses in the scripture on the word of God is Isaiah chapter 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, 
And do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. The word of God has an impact wherever it goes forth. Do you remember when it used to rain? Some of you have this memory of water would fall from the sky. And when it would fall from the sky, the, the, the grass and the plants would get green and healthy and they would grow because when the rain comes down, it sinks into the roots, it sinks deep, and it nourishes what's on the ground. The rain does its work. Without the rain, your lawn and the grass and your plants and your trees, they go brown and lifeless. This past week, I was telling my son, hey, now that school has started, son, you need to mow the lawn on the weekends because there's not as much time during the week like there was during the summer. So you need to arrange your schedule around mowing on the weekend. And then I looked out the window and I said, to be honest though, it's not gonna take you that long because you only have to uh, mow the parts that are alive still. Because without rain, it doesn't flourish. It doesn't grow. But when rain comes, life comes. Where the word of God is, there is life, there is hope, there is growth. That's why we preach from the scripture. That's why we usually are preaching from a book of the Bible. We follow the word of God. We believe the word of God. This is why we encourage you to get into a Bible study of some kind with people who can study the word with you and help you understand it and grow from it. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is inspired by God. That is, it's breathed out by the Spirit of God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Notice the connection, by the way, between knowing the word of God and doing those things that God has called us to do as his people. A lot of times uh, I've had people say to me, yeah, yeah, that's just head knowledge. The Bible's just head knowledge. You don't need to cram your mind with more information. What you need to do is move toward application. You just need to go do stuff to serve God, to obey God. Don't worry so much about knowing the Bible and letting it absorb deeply into you. But think about that principle in any other area of life. Think about if you ran across a pre-med student this fall who is studying anatomy and they're studying diligently and you walk up to that pre-med student and you say, man, that's just head knowledge. You don't need to know that stuff. What you need to do is go practice surgeries, right? That's what you need, application, not information. Now, is it true that uh, before somebody operates on me, I want them to have practiced some surgery? Absolutely. Is it also true that if they're going to remove my appendix, I would like them to know where it is in my body? Yes. Information properly understood leads to application. Knowledge leads to life change. We study the word not so it ends up here, but so that it flows out to our hands and our feet and our lips and our hearts and our lives, knowing God's word transforms us because the Spirit of God inspired the Word of God 
And as we read it, Jesus promised to help us remember and understand what he taught and to obey. So we value the word of God. And, and notice these first two values, by the way, the, the grace of God, the gospel, and the word of God, they're closely connected. What I mean is that churches that neglect the preaching of the word of God and the study of the word of God, invariably they drift from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Invariably. They drift towards some message of the gospel that is simply works-based. Be nice to people, give to the poor, serve in your community. That may be how you honor or please God. Right, and so we value the word of God because it keeps us tethered to the gospel. We value God's grace. We value God's word. Thirdly, we value next-generation ministry. Next generation ministry. Now, if you look at this on our website, I think it's framed, we value God's people. Over the years, uh, it's been phrased as we value university family ministry. So college students and families serving and worshiping together. The idea though is this, that we value taking the good news of Jesus Christ and our knowledge of him and passing it down to the generation behind us, who will pass it to the generation behind them, who will pass it to the generation behind them. The way that the church thrives and flourishes and survives is through this process of intentional discipleship from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. So Paul puts it this way, 2 Timothy 2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Notice you have four generations of disciples in this passage. Paul, and then Timothy, and then the men Timothy teaches, and then those men that those men teach. One, two, three, four. From generation to generation to generation to generation. And the idea is that this keeps going until Jesus returns. Historically, Grace Bible Church has focused on college students a lot Because we live in a college town. And so I want to talk about that for just a moment, but I also want to broaden this idea of next generation ministry as well. We live in a college town. In fact, I'm going to guess that there are Aggies in the room this morning. uh, I'm guessing there are. Am I right? Okay, we got a few. Okay, so there are Aggies in the room this morning. Uh, this town, to some extent, we know that that we have a love. If you're you're a grown-up, you may have a love-hate relationship with college students, right? Because they're on, one, on the one hand, they're kind of the lifeblood of the community. They're kind of the engine that makes the community go. They bring revenue and enthusiasm and excitement and population, right? They keep our community healthy and thriving over time. At the same time, my guess is that this weekend, if you're like me, you felt a great deal of road rage as you headed up Texas or Welburn. There are crowds and there's noise and there's mess sometimes. And so there can be this love-hate relationship. And so when you hear me say, hey, we invest in the next generation and students, I'm going to guess there's some of you that you're like, wait a second, I'm at Grace Creekside because this is the farthest one south. And you know where I'm going. You're like, I'm fleeing further and further away. If that's you, Okay, the bad news is this, that we will invest in students. We will invest in the next generation as a church because we believe 
Healthy churches invest in the next generation. Churches that do not, that only focus on their own generation, those churches die. And so we invest in the next generation. Now, I want to broaden that a little bit and say it isn't only college students. It's also young families. It's also youth kids or children. Right? We invest in the next generation so that all of us at any given time ought to say, who are the people coming behind me that I'm pouring into and investing in that maybe are a few years younger than I am? One of the beautiful things about having been at this church as long as I have is I've seen this cycle in which not only have I and my wife had the opportunity to pour into the next generation, but also then to see the next generation pour into us. When I, when I got here uh, in 2004 as a, as a college pastor, we were investing in college students, helping them come to know and follow Jesus. Uh, but then we saw many of those college students would come over and babysit our kids or spend time with our kids. And here was the cool thing. We were investing in them. Then they began to invest in our kids. And if you're a parent, you know, it's really a good idea to have like a, a young, cool person who is saying to your kids the same things you're saying. Because when you say it, it often just goes like this, right? In one ear, out the other. You say, I want you to follow Jesus and arrange your life around him. And they go, yeah, you've said that since I was small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but as a young college student invests in their life, they go, oh, can you believe what that, what that student just said? I can't believe it. And you go, I said that to you 700 times last year. But they invest. And then the cool thing is some of those college students now have kids that my kids babysit for and invest in and serve. And this cycle continues from generation to generation to generation to generation until Jesus comes back. That's how it's meant to be. If Jesus does not come back first, the day will come when all of us will be gone from this earth and will be in the presence of Jesus and other generations will be sitting in this room. So are we investing in them? What that also means is that sometimes as a church, if you walk in, and I want to say this, especially to those who might be approaching sort of the, the northern end of the age spectrum, as I am getting closer to it myself. Sometimes you might come in and you go, what are these songs we're singing? I don't recognize them. They don't sound like my songs. Are they, are they intentionally picking songs that are a little bit more geared toward younger generations? Yes. Okay, yes. Now, that said, our goal is not to leave anybody behind. We also want to sing and worship in ways that are familiar often to those of us that might be middle-aged or older. And so if you're a college student, just know you're sometimes going to hear some of those songs as well because all of us want to invest in, care about, and love the body of Christ. But sometimes that means that I set aside my preferences for the sake of the Great Commission to invest in the next generation and the next generation and the next generation because we value next generation ministry. And then fourthly, we value world missions. We value world missions. This has always been at the heart of who we are, that we believe that a vital part of the Great Commission is when Jesus said, make disciples of all the nations. 
And he told his disciples in Acts chapter 1, I want you to start in Jerusalem, and then you're going to move to Judea, and then Samaria, and then outward from there to all the ends of the earth. So as you follow the book of Acts, that's really exactly what they do. They go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And by the end of the book of Acts, the gospel is spread to Rome. And from Rome, it spreads out from there into the ends of the earth. We are recipients of their faithfulness to do what Jesus told them to do. But we are still called to make disciples of all the nations because there are still places in the world where the gospel is really hard to find and people cannot just walk down the street to a church. This is critical. We don't have the option of simply opting out of world missions, of global participation in the Great Commission. I have not yet seen the newest Mission Impossible movie. I know that some of you probably have. I think it's like Mission Impossible 75 or something along those lines. I haven't watched it yet, but I, I, even though I haven't watched it, I'm 100% sure that at some point in the movie, there's a briefing scene where Ethan Hunt gets his mission, and a guy goes, your mission, should you choose to accept it? And they always include that phrase, as if he would ever choose not to accept it. Can you imagine if he didn't? He's like, nah, you know what? I'm done. And that would be the end of the film. That would be the end of the series. The whole reason there are so many is because he keeps accepting the mission. Why does he keep accepting it? Because he knows it is critical. It is critical to save the world. It's foundational. So could he opt out? Yeah, maybe. But he really, really shouldn't. The mission of Jesus to make disciples among all the nations, it is critical. It is critical to his plan. And here's the thing. We could opt out. We could go, ah, we're not going to really participate in that. Jesus will fulfill his mission with or without us, but there's a lot more joy in being a part of it than standing on the sidelines. Because what Jesus is doing is he is building a global kingdom from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation to worship him forever and ever and ever. We saw Revelation chapter 7 last year when we were in the book of Revelation. After these things, John says, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God is building a global, multi-ethnic, multi-generational kingdom of worshipers who will fall before his throne day and night forever and ever. And the only question is not whether he will do it, it's whether we will participate in it. And he calls us and invites us to do it. That is why as a church, we keep the Great Commission right at the center of all we do. A couple of weeks ago, we commissioned some goers who are going over to Southeast Asia. And so we, we pray for them. And we, we ask them how we can pray. And we give toward their mission. And we participate in that way in what they're doing. Some of you in this room might be called to go and to share the gospel in a place where Jesus is not really named a whole lot right now. Uh, the giveaway that Dusty mentioned, the nations come to our doors and we get to serve and share with them the truth of Jesus. And then one day they go out to the corners of the earth 
to share the message from generation to generation to generation. We help people find and follow Jesus. We value God's grace, God's word, next generation ministry, and world missions. So how do we respond? Let me offer quickly how we respond as a church to the message of God's grace and the mission he's called us to. One, we worship. We worship him. We gather together and we say, thank you, God, for the grace of Jesus Christ. We help one another continue to worship day in and day out as we thank God for all that he's done for us. And as we say, Lord, let our lives be living acts of worship to represent you as we go out into the world. We pray for all that God is doing, that God would use our church and each of us to fulfill his mission. We pray that we would grow closer to him so that we can be representatives of his kingdom as he's called us to do. We seek to grow, to know him in deeper ways, to know his word, to to know how to follow him, to know how to serve him. I would encourage you, as I mentioned earlier, get involved in a group of some kind where you can grow and where you can serve and maybe where you can lead in order to facilitate spiritual growth in this congregation because we want to help people find and follow Jesus. And in order to do that, that means we have to follow him ourselves, to let his word uh, absorb into our hearts and our lives. Uh, this is a, it's a QR code. If you want to scan this, you will get all of our small group options and, and ways that you can connect with small groups, Bible studies, community groups, all of that. You can scan that or you can go out in the foyer after the service and there will be some people out there who can help you connect with a group. So we want to grow. Fourthly, we want to serve. We want to serve. As we're growing, we want to participate in the work that God is doing in this church and our community, maybe in the children's ministry or maybe welcoming or in in the parking lot ministry or leading a Bible study or a group. We want to serve the body of Christ to facilitate growth and help equip people to use their gifts for his glory and to know him in deeper ways. So again, another QR code really quickly. If you're interested in service opportunities, this will take you to our service application You can fill that out if you're interested in opportunities to serve Grace Bible Church. We need your gifts. And then fifthly, we share. We share. We go out into the world and we tell other people what God in his grace has allowed us to know. That he loves us, that Jesus died for our sins and rose again, that eternal life is a free gift and you can know him today and have his presence and peace and joy in your life today and the hope of eternal life. So we go out in the world and we say, I want to tell you about the one who's given me life. And we help people find him. And then as they find him, we say, I want to help you follow him with me as I learn. I'm happy to help you learn as well. We help people find and follow Jesus generation to generation until the day we meet Jesus or Jesus returns. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that we would be faithful to participate in and fulfill your mission. Lord, we pray that you would help us to know you in deeper ways and to walk with you day by day. Give us endurance and focus to run the race well until we see Jesus face to face. 
Lord, we're thankful for this time. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.